Well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you're visiting with us, we've been this year doing a focused study of Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, um, doing one lesson a month working through these two chapters. We're still obviously fairly early into the year, so we're fairly early into these chapters. Um, last year, we studied Ephesians 4 and did a yearly series on Ephesians 4 with a lesson focusing on that chapter once per month. So we've been kind of continuing looking through Ephesians since chapter 4. And one thing that we've been seeing again and again is that God is in the business of transforming people. That God has given us an entirely new identity in Christ. He's given us new purpose, new hope, new meaning, new value. But this grace also comes with a responsibility to walk worthy of the way that we're called to walk, to imitate God, as his beloved children. And what we're going to see this morning, as Paul uh, read for us, wisdom embraces exposure. And that's obviously related to this idea that we are to walk in the light just as God is light, and we're to walk as children of light. So we'll be talking a little practically about what that means in Ephesians 5 here. Um, One thing I want to mention really quick, just as an introduction, is just how fundamental and central these truths are to our faith and our relationship with God. Um, In Acts 26, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is recounting his conversion when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus, when he appeared to Paul, who was at that time Saul, uh, he gave Paul this mission statement. He said that he was going to go out to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So again, we're going to be talking about how we can handle these truths with wisdom, right? Because really, if you boil down what it means to walk in wisdom, really it's understanding how to put knowledge into its proper practice, So we can know that we are light in the Lord. We can know that we were once in darkness, but wisdom demands that we understand what to do with those truths and how to use that knowledge. So if you don't have your Bibles open there yet, I'd encourage you to open again, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll start the lesson by reading the specific verses we'll be looking at in chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is notice in verse 8, he doesn't say you formerly were in darkness. He says you formerly were darkness. He doesn't say, but now you are in the light of the Lord. He says, now you are light in the Lord. And the idea is darkness, when we were separated from God, 
It wasn't just something that we were within or among. It's actually who we were when we were apart from God. And we're called, just like we talked about the idea of being considered a saint last week, um, we looked at that with verse 3, where he says that there are things that just are not proper among saints. We talked about how that's both who we are, it's who God has created us to be, but it's also who he is calling us to become. And it's the same with being light in the Lord. It's both who we're made to be in Christ, but it's also who we're called to become more of as well. So I just want to reflect, what does it mean that we were formerly darkness? Because I think we all understand that it doesn't mean that we were like physically, literally on a visible plane in darkness, but rather that there's a spiritual truth that's being uh, illustrated there. Go back to chapter 4 of Ephesians, and I think we see what this means described in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 again. Um, So if you just look back at chapter, it says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Um, So if you look specifically at verse 18, notice it's emphasized that we were at one time darkened in understanding. So I think the idea is that when we were formerly darkness, we were internally completely blind to where we once were and what we were doing apart from God. We were blind to the consequences of where we were and the path that was leading us down. But at the same time, it's not just about being blind to ourselves. Really, the main thing is we were blind to who God is and what he's done for us, right? And so it's more of an internal understanding. It's it's a hardness of heart, a calloused conscience, a blinded mind to just not comprehend the reality of these spiritual truths that Jesus came to bring and bring to light. So we'll be looking more at that with what does it mean to also then be light in the Lord. I want to illustrate this in a couple of ways with some scriptures for reference. Um, What we're going to do is try to understand this concept really well, and then the rest of the lesson, we'll try to focus on just making some applications from these references. And I want to start with Luke chapter 11. So if you'll turn back to Luke chapter 11, Jesus illustrates what we're talking about with what has been for me a very challenging but extremely helpful and enlightening parable. It's Luke chapter 11, 33 through 36. This is a parable that Jesus in the other Gospels outside of Luke, so in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus would use this parable after what he taught about the seed and the sower and listening. And in those contexts, it's dealing with the fact that we need to listen to God's word in a way where we're allowing our hearts to be illuminated by his word. And there's a similar meaning with the parable here that I think helps relate 
to the topic um, in Ephesians 5. So Luke 11, 33 through 36. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. So while this parable can be challenging, I think the context helps to really make it clear what Jesus means exactly about the eye being the lamp of our body. If our eye is clear, our body will also be full of light. Verse 35, he calls us to watch out that the light in us not be darkness, because if it's full of darkness, then, uh, then the darkness doesn't give any room for light to shine. In the next section of scripture in Luke 11, Notice in verse 37, after he had spoken this, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. He went and reclined at the table. Very often in the Gospels, Jesus will do something or something will happen immediately after something he taught to really help clarify any difficulty of meaning of what he taught. And this is one of those instances. So in verse 38, a Pharisee who sees Jesus eating with unwashed hands is surprised And in verse 39, I think this is where Jesus' parable is illustrated through this interaction. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within his charity, and then all things are clean for you. So was this Pharisee that Jesus was interacting with, was his eye clear? Notice back in verse 38, when the Pharisee saw it, when he saw that Jesus was not ceremonially washing his hands before the meal, what did he see? And in contrast to that, what did Jesus see when he looked at the Pharisee and interacted with him? They were looking at things completely differently. The Pharisee was focused on what was on the outside, Jesus was focused on what was within. And my point that I have on the board is the first thing we need to understand about being light in the Lord is this isn't an artificial light. So Jesus makes the point in verse 39, he says they clean the outside of the cup. So on the outside, they look clean, they look righteous before men, but what about the inside at the end of that verse? While the outside is clean, internally they are full of robbery and wickedness. Jesus proceeds in this meal, as awkward as it is, to then pronounce multiple woes on the Pharisees and the scribes as well. And at the end of the chapter in verse 53 and 54, the Pharisee doesn't respond by being humbled. He doesn't respond by being convicted that the secrets of his heart had been drawn out. As disappointing as it is, after this meal and the openness that Jesus had with the people with him, they become more hostile. And in verse 54, they plot how they might catch him in something he might say. This leads us to chapter 12. And this continues to illustrate this point about 
What does it mean to be light in the Lord? So it means that we're not trying to be artificial lights. We're letting Jesus expose the issues of our heart. We're letting his word draw out our weaknesses or our sins. We're letting his light shine internally and expose temptations, weaknesses, whatever it might be. And look at chapter 12, I think verses 1 through 7, really is another issue that can stand in the way of us really being light in the Lord. It says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered, and note, this relates back to the parable in verse 33 through 36 of the previous chapter, with the eye being the lamp of the body. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So while Jesus shines light into the darkness of our hearts, there's something important about what it means to be a light in the Lord that is difficult to put into practice. It's learning to be open both with God and one another about our weaknesses and about our sin. Um, You notice in verse 2, after Jesus had taught this parable and then interacted with the Pharisees, drew out the issues of their heart despite looking righteous to men, their refusal to accept his words, but instead growing more hostile, he warns them, beware of hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees. There's nothing hidden, there's nothing covered up that's not going to be heard in the light and shouted from the housetops. Jesus' light exposes sin, in order to expose salvation. I think that really brings clarity to why he says what he says in verses 5 through 7. Innately, there's a fear of judgment that comes with sin. You know, and it can be really scary to bring up weaknesses, struggles, or sin to other people because of a fear of how they'll respond. And one of the biggest mistakes I've made with my sin that I'm trying to do better at is having such a fear of how people respond that I keep my struggles to myself and fear bringing up my weaknesses to anybody else because of a worry of how I might look to someone else. That's not how the light of the Lord operates. And this isn't about just expecting, okay, so well, I want other people to be more open with me. No, it's that we, each of us, need to take initiative on our own. We need to initiate that and learn to have the kind of openness with our weaknesses that really gives glory that God exposes what is in the dark and brings it to the light for the purpose of helping us to be saved from those things. And that's the irony of verse 7. You notice that he had just been saying, fear God, not men. People ultimately can't do what you're so afraid they will do. So he says you need to fear God, but then in verse 7, when he talks about how valuable we are to God, 
he then turns and says, well, do not fear. Because God isn't exposing our weaknesses or our sin to throw us away or condemn us, but to heal us and to help us and to strengthen us. We see that as well in John chapter 3. Um, look at John. So this contains one of Jesus' most well-known uh, statements and promises. But then the rest of his words here are not quite as well known. But this is where Jesus says, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But let's see the things that he says immediately after that and how they relate to, again, what does it mean to be light in the Lord? John chapter 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So with this really quick, a a note to make that's really important. Ephesians 5 says, uh, right before the section we're looking at, do not be deceived, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And we looked at some reasons why it can be so tempting to forsake the truth after having come to believe it. But this is one that I think is helpful to think about with this section. I think it can actually be most tempting to deny the truth and turn away from it when it contradicts our desires. And think about how common that is, even with something like divorce and remarriage, right? Jesus' words about divorce and remarriage are very plain and very simple and very straightforward. There's difficulties of trying to work out exactly in different situations how they apply exactly, but there's still in the midst of that great simplicity in the instruction. And I've seen so many times where somebody sees that simplicity and then they're put into a situation where, well, now it doesn't benefit me anymore to believe this. And all of a sudden it becomes very tempting to let's try to find some kind of loophole now, right? And obviously that's not the only situation where this issue could arise. But it's most tempting to turn away from the truth, to deny it, to ignore it, to pretend like it's not there when it contradicts our desires. Even think about this more fundamentally than that. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 how Satan tempted Eve to turn her heart away from God? It was by desire. And what Satan did is he got Eve into a place where what God said no longer agreed with her desire. And once her desire changed, it became much easier then to act in deceit instead of staying in the truth. Now, the second part of that is Jesus' light, though, it liberates us from that deception. Jesus' light liberates us from being deceived by the short-term fulfillment that we gain from our own personal desires at God's expense. 
Notice back in verse 17, Jesus wasn't sent into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. It's not that Jesus didn't bring judgment with him. It's not that sin isn't even more grave and consequential now that Jesus has come into the world. But it's that when Jesus condemned sin, it's never without purpose to heal and to save people from what's been revealed about sin. And so living in the light is learning to see that God's judgments against sin are something to be embraced so that we can be healed from the consequences of sin, from the stains that sin leaves on our hearts. But if you'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus' light also shows us how we can live in a way that is actually pleasing to God. Um, Verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 5. Notice he says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I think it's much more common and much easier to think about God's wrath, right? I do wrong, I deserve to be punished. I think it can be much more difficult to understand that God can be pleased with my decisions, that I can live in a way that positively affects my relationship with God. You remember last week when we were talking about the wrath of God and the reality of God's wrath? We talked about how we just need to think more and understand more about how God feels about sin and about how our decisions can affect God in a negative way. But at the same time, the the mystery of our relationship with God is not just how our sin affects God negatively, but how God gives us a way to live in his light so that we can be pleasing to him in everything that we do. And when we see God's mercy and his grace without compromising an attitude that is serious-minded against sin, we can have assurance that God is very pleased with us. Look back at chapter 5, verse 1. We are imitators of God as what? Not as a distant relative, not as somebody who's just kind of in the vicinity of God, but generally out of mind and out of sight. We're imitating God as his beloved children. Another mystery of God's word is while you do see God's wrath because of the commonality of disobedience, we see Jesus continuously conveying it's not that God is difficult to please. It's that people are so commonly bent on disobedience. And so as much as we need to think about the reality of God's wrath, we also need to understand how motivating it is to understand that God rejoices in obedience, that God rejoices when a sinner turns from the error of their way, and God rejoices in the relationship he's able to have with his children who are genuinely trying and struggling to understand how to be pleasing to him. So thinking more practically through verse 10 through 14, what does it look like and what does it mean then to expose darkness rather than participating in it? Um, One point I want to make that I think just primarily to think about is exposing darkness is our highest calling and it's our purpose in the world. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus was beginning his first sermon in Matthew's gospel? After talking about the Beatitudes, he gave his disciples two qualities that would identify them. He said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. 
This is our highest calling. It is our purpose in the world. And so there's a difficulty of working out again in verse 11. It's not that we're not participating with people and trying to get close to people. It's that we're not participating in unfruitful deeds of darkness. So I think there's some difficult things, again, that we need to think about and wrestle with. So we need to be wise. We need to be honest about how our environment or our relationships are affecting us. There is a time to separate from relationships. And here's what I mean. In my past, I've justified having very unwise relationships that were continuously influencing me towards sin by saying things like, well, you know, Jesus surrounded himself with tax collectors and sinners. And you know what's ironic is I would say that when I myself was so empty-hearted of my own love for God and was just really looking for a reason to have relationships with people that I enjoyed that were not building me up at all. And really, I was the one being influenced away from God. Another way in my past that I've seen this, shortly after I repented of living in sin when I was about 21, um, I had a friend from college who I'd grown very close to before I repented. And he invited me to go on a trip with him um, shortly after I repented. And I remember being so determined, like, okay, so... You know, this is a friend where, you know, our relationship was based in a lot of sinful things. And so, you know, if I'm going to go with him, I need to make sure that, you know, I'm fortifying my faith and fortifying my attitude. And I didn't appreciate my weaknesses and where I really was. So I flew to where he was on vacation with his family. And as soon as I saw him and as soon as I started spending time with him, it was like flipping a switch. And I was right back where I had been. And I remember getting back from that trip and being so disappointed with myself and what I had done. We just need to be honest. We need to be wise. We need to be careful with being foolish about justifying decisions that if we really just thought about things more humbly, we would recognize maybe this just isn't the wise relationship that's going to help me get closer to God. And so there's a time when we may need to step away from relationships. We need to be open with people about why we're stepping away from those relationships. That friend, I had to have a very honest conversation with him after that time. And um, shortly after that, we just, we just stopped communicating with each other. So this is a difficult discipline. But it must be learned because obviously the goal is not just get out of the world and spend no more time interacting with anybody who doesn't already know God, right? So there is a time when we have to recognize where we really are and that maybe it's just not time for us to be thinking we're strong enough or enduring enough to have those kind of relationships. But this is still the goal that God has for us. And so a couple of principles that I think are really important when we're thinking about being a light in the world. Jesus' light is not distant or withdrawn. And what I mean by that is, you can think about Luke chapter 11 and in John chapter 3. Everything that we've read as a reference is having Jesus, um, after Jesus has had very personal interactions with people, very uncomfortable interactions. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus dined with the Pharisee who ended up becoming more hostile against him after that interaction. And so Jesus did expose darkness, but not from a distance, not that he was just trying to condemn people and keep his distance from them. 
And so the idea is we're trying to invest, we're trying to be helpful and kind and gracious with ourselves. Jesus' light does expose darkness, but whenever possible, it's through a desire to genuinely help somebody understand a different way. A genuine desire to help people and invest in people's lives, to do the hard work of spending time with people and understanding their burdens, having conversations that maybe help recognize what really is at the root of why it's so difficult to turn to God and turn away from sin. This means looking for opportunities to form relationships with people and spend time with them. I think it can be addicting to like, I don't know if you guys have seen this or done this, but it can be addicting to like on Facebook, make very broad condemnations against the world or even against other brethren. But really that's still not the same thing as how Jesus, again, looked for opportunities with people around him very personally. This might mean going and knocking on the door of your neighbor's house and inviting them to come into your home or going into their home. It may mean that when you see your neighbor in passing, trying to utilize that opportunity better and better as you see them. It might be that when you go to the grocery store and you see the same cashier again and again, that you're genuinely interested in how they're doing and trying to figure out where they are and how you can even, in passing, be a friend to them. It's looking for opportunities to genuinely love people, just as the Lord genuinely has loved us and we've been changed by that love. And again, it means having meaningful and invested conversations. When I first read this, the idea of exposing darkness what flashes into my mind is just kind of harshly rebuking people. And I think rebuke and reproof is certainly a part of this. I think that can limit the application if we're not understanding how much good work happens when we're actually trying to engage people and talk with them. I think if somebody is filled with the light, if they're genuinely trying to please God, if they're trying to learn what it means to please God, then when they're trying to form a relationship with somebody, that relationship has one single purpose. It has one purpose, to glorify God and to help those people see the glory of the God who's redeemed us first. But it also means praying for courage and strength. Obviously, none of this happens in convenience or in comfort, right? And I think a really practical way to think about this is thinking about people that you struggle with this with on a daily basis. Maybe it's people you work with. Maybe, again, it's people like your neighbors. Maybe it's even your family, your children, your parents. And I think we just need to have the wisdom to recognize that since this can be so difficult to understand and it can be so easy to keep every relationship at a comfortable distance or never bring up the hard things that would expose darkness, take those risks. We really need to be looking for wisdom and strength from God. And we really need to be prayerfully thinking about those people and prayerfully thinking about where people are and prayerfully thinking about the importance of where we are in relation to the people around us. So back in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14... Ultimately, the text comes back to us and how we need to make sure that we are living in the light of Christ. I'm going to read this again. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. 
For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the idea of being asleep is being inactive and unaware. I think a good way to think about this is like when somebody's in a coma. You know, when somebody's in a coma, that's not an enviable position. And everybody who cares about that person who's just stuck in a coma is just waiting for the good news that they would wake up and return back to reality, right? Or that there would be some method of signs of life and ability to communicate. Even if it's just like, moving your eyes or moving your fingers enough to somehow signify you are in touch with reality somehow. But we need to think about it like Jesus has awoken us from comatose. And so living in the light is hard work. Obviously, if somebody is stuck in a coma, they're strapped up to machines, they're laying in a bed, they're not able to do anything, everybody else is having to care for them. So the reality is waking up from comatose is hard work. And I think that becomes the temptation as well, is because living in the light of Christ is hard work, it can be a temptation to just want to check out and just go back to sleep and just sleepily get through life. But that's why we need to be renewing our minds in the Lord. We need to be remembering our purpose. We need to be remembering who we are because of what God has done. We need to remember the value of who we are. We need to remember the sacrifices that God has made to bring us into his light. And we need to think about the concerns we should have for, again, the condition that other people are in and how in need other people are to receive light as well. We'll see this more in chapter 5. I think especially verse 18 through 21. We're going to see how God equips us to deal with the harsh realities and ugliness of life, but still find joy. Because again, the reality is, when we obey the truth and when we're serving God, oftentimes we're not confronted with less of the grittiness and harshness of life. We're confronted with more of the grittiness and the harshness of life. And oftentimes it's not that we just have more happiness because of our faith, but that we need to learn joy because of the grief that's involved with the sacrifices and realities of our relationship with God. And so again, it's not that we're not equipped to deal with these things. It's that if we aren't striving to utilize the tools and instructions that God gives us in his word, if we're not trying to have wisdom with these things, then again, the temptation will be just go back to sleep, take the easy way out, and just sleepily work through life instead of striving to do the hard work of being awake and working in the light. Think about it this way as well. When I've worked at UPS in the past, If the power went out and if it was dark, we would not be able to work and we would be ordered to stop working, right? Because being in darkness doesn't make it possible to navigate your environment. It doesn't make it possible to work safely or even know what you're doing. And so God has made it possible for us to navigate our environment. He's made it possible for us to see stumbling blocks that are in front of us and to do this work again with hope and with joy and with clarity. And so the conclusion is is this. The promise is if we'll awake and arise from the dead, Christ will shine on us. And I think fundamentally, here are some things that Jesus does for us that equip us to be able to do this hard work of exposing darkness, even when it's uncomfortable, investing in people, even when it means carrying greater burdens on our shoulders. 
Jesus heals all of our wounds when we wake up and see the nature of his light. He comforts our pain. Just like he told his disciples when they said, we've forsaken everything, what is there for us? Jesus assured them that with God's kingdom, there is the restoration of everything that's lost. God overwhelmingly sees and provides for all of our needs as a good father does his own children. And God is able to faithfully lead us. It's not that we're in isolation and abandoned by God when we're in uh, trouble or struggling, or even when we've sinned and we're looking for a way to find repentance and forgiveness from God and mercy from others. God is always there to faithfully lead us. It's just a matter, again, of what Jesus taught in Luke 11. Are we allowing his light to penetrate our hearts? Or are we simply wanting to hide and to hold the things that please us? And so we're put at a crossroads. Will we trust God? Will we trust him as our father? Will we embrace our identity as his children who are saints in the light? Will we help others to see the light of the Lord and to have their deeds exposed as not being from God? Or will we go to sleep and let opportunities pass by and watch while the souls around us are ignorantly being taken by the devil and separated from God? So I commend these things to you and the lesson is yours. Um, If you're here this morning and you've been considering your relationship to God and you have not taken the steps of faith to submit to the gospel, to obey it, to be baptized for the remission of your sins after repenting and desiring to turn away from the world and its lusts. Again, just like the final point here, Jesus is waiting, God is waiting, to heal the wounds that sin has caused Just like we've sung this morning, your soul can be made well, but you have to take the initiative with your faith to respond to what God has done. If there's anything that we can do for you related to your relationship with God, we encourage you to make it known and bring it forward while we sing an invitation song.